Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, everybody, to Man Buns and Jesus, episode 30-something. Does it really matter? Does it really matter what episode it is? Uh, we are happy to have you with us today, whenever you're listening to it. Um, I'm Pastor Josh Laborious. I'm a pastor of Edgewater Lutheran Church in Eastvale, California. That's uh, south, Southern California in the area of Ontario, Corona, stuff like that. Um, and next to me on the Zoom call, or the other voice you'll hear if you listen to the audio, is the esteemed Reverend Benjamin Olschlager, first of his name, I think pastor of Good Shepherd in Lake Orion, Michigan. How are we hey. doing, Ben? <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, a lovely 40 degrees here in, in Michigan, and I say that with sincerity, uh, what, also watching Josh cringe. It's kind of... I, the low tonight is 35, and I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> Your peach trees. I was promised crazy. better weather than this. <laughs> anyway, um, one thing that Josh and I, regardless of the temperature here, have not been dealing with is the Qatari heat, uh, which watching the World Cup has been fascinating because even at 10 o'clock in winter, Temperatures are still in the mid eighties. Yeah, although they were saying like all the players cramping, like cramping up and stuff, and I was like, surely these pinnacle athletes are better conditioned than that for heat training. I like so surely someone could have paid for them to go to a southern state and train. I feel like. There has to be some level of a lot of these guys are playing in Northern Europe or the United States or, um, yeah, mostly Northern Europe and the United States. And so they're coming from much colder climates than having to adapt rather quickly to the, the heat of Qatar uh, and then play soccer in that. That's fair. Like, I don't blame them. Not the point that. of our podcast, but that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, but we do kind of want to talk about the World Cup this year or this week. Um, one, we only get a chance to do this once every four years, so why not? And uh, two, there's some relevant conversations around the World Cup this year that also make good, relevant theological conversations. The big one being... Um, around ethics fifa has a um bad history of corruption and racism uh, that's probably putting it at least lightly um and this year for the world cup um the host nation qatar was selected um uh, known corruption at this point it's documented it's out there um and that nation has a significant history of uh, 
worker rights abuses, um, racism against people that aren't native Qatari. Um, and so the very things that hit that FIFA has had problems with in the past and is therefore appropriately trying to address, they blatantly ignored in the face of uh, bringing an event to uh, this nation, uh, Qatar. And so there's a lot of um, primarily, primarily like European and, and North American um, soccer federations that have questioned how much should we bend on our values as we go into a place that struggles to uphold things like uh, racial equality and just civil rights for its workers um, in hopes that they see better from us and want to improve and how much are we just giving them an opportunity to kind of grandstand make buckets of money yes and also make buckets of money and um kind of set themselves up for tourism and all this other stuff um and that got josh and i kind of thinking on a parallel track of like as church bodies or as churches as individual congregations um even as uh individual christians how much do we do the same thing and where is like the breaking point because there are opportunities for us to be involved in uh in ministry and in life with other congregations in the area outside of our denomination the lutheran church missouri synod um and so what is a like an appropriate amount for us to engage with them such that or like in spite of the fact that we have these disagreements uh in spite of the fact that we may question some of their theology or their ethics um so to what extent is it our responsibility to reach out to them and to what extent is our responsibility to not do that um i think there are many people in the world who think uh soccer and the thousands of workers who died uh during the preparations for the world cup and any other number of people would be far better off if the world cup hadn't come to Qatar. um and so like similarly when are we better off just not engaging in some of these relationships for the sake of our church for the sake of our denomination for the sake of our our faith so that's where we're going today it's all very tangentially related but I, we thought it was appropriate given uh, some of the ethical conversations going on around the world cup yeah josh where should we start today okay um there's a lot to unpack i know there is a lot to unpack and if i you gotta pull me out if i start to jump down a rabbit hole because there's some potential here okay um oh man i i think i want to start most generally on like how do you choose when to engage because i think 
a really big part of it is is just the simple question who is going to influence who mm -hmm. and <laughs> get ready to find out exactly how much of a geek i am um i i read a lot of book like a lot of books from a genre called uh lit rpg it's it stands like it's short short form for literal role-playing game and the premise of all of these books is through some in some way and authors get pretty creative in how they set this up but in some way the main character gets placed into a world that operates a lot like our modern video games so they get dropped in you can gain levels and when you gain levels you get stronger you learn abilities you can distribute points to make yourself stronger in certain areas um and, and i mean that's how uh if you've never played that's how most modern role-playing games work right you you level up you get stronger and you can distribute your strength kind of as you see fit um and the reason i bring this up is because as ben's describing this issue and as i'm thinking about this the thing that keeps coming up to mind is in almost all these books one of those statistics you can distribute stats to is willpower mm. and one of my favorite books one of my favorite series in this genre like a lot of it revolves around the fact that the main character has an indomitable will he comes up against anything and even though everything is stronger than he is he just refuses to give in he refuses to concede um and I think this this discussion would be a lot easier if we all had statistics like if we if we could pull up our character sheet and see oh my willpower is 57 and theirs is 64. Because then you could decide you know if I go if i'm in a relationship with this person who has a stronger will than I am who's more dedicated than I am i'm going to be the one who is influenced. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't have that, but I think what it really comes down to some a lot of the times is you have to think like who's going to influence who am, am i going to be able and willing to stick by my faith or my ethics or like whatever the case is and influence others or am i going to be the one influenced mm -hmm. so and, and i think this is why this might be another whole tangent but this is why people who are insecure tend to avoid conflicting ideas because their their real concern their underlying fear is that they are going to succumb um so like in the instance of the world cup and in qatar honestly i would say it's a wash because i don't think and like america americans uh, like we're kind of known for being arrogant and confident and unyielding. Um, the European countries, I don't like, they're not going to walk out of the world cup and suddenly be like, Hey, let's go violate some human rights guys. Like those, the countries going long. in, I don't think are going to be influenced by the culture, especially in, you know, two weeks, but at the same time, a lot of those, those issues that people have with Qatar are very deeply embedded in 
the religion of the state in the culture of the state in in the way everything is run so like you have two sides that are pretty unyielding so i don't in reality neither one is going to really i think influence the other and when we translate this to well what about churches i think you have to ask that question is your dedication to faithful and correct theology and your will to uphold that stronger than whatever influences of of whatever you're stepping into so that's i think a big part comes down to are you more secure in your belief than wherever you're walking into isn't theirs which sounds like a really survivalistic aggressive way to think about it but those are the books i've been reading so i mean i i think that squares with where scripture would say too um i'm specifically thinking of i think it's james chapter three uh figure out later um james has a discussion on leadership and especially on those who would fulfill the role of a teacher uh teaching the faith and uh, one of his key points is that the the people that are put into those positions to to teach to speak to lead um should be well founded in their faith um they should be uh knowledgeable they should be patient they should be uh upright um because the less um coercible they are the more likely they are to to preach and teach good doctrine to the people that need to learn more um and the less likely they are to be influenced by outside forces that could then corrupt their their doctrine that they would be then teaching from um and so as we're applying that to like our interactions with other churches and things I think that makes complete sense that we as a as a church or that I as an individual or that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as a denomination, um, we approach these conversations when we are sure and secure of our knowledge um, of our role in them uh, and what we're getting into, or at least as sure as we can be of what we're getting into. Um, and maybe something to throw back at you. This kind of has me thinking about some of the conversations that uh, our church body has internationally, where um, there are there are thousands of Lutheran denominations around the world. Um, but generally they fall into one of three camps um and now i can't remember the name of the elca one uh are you lutheran talking about world, what is it the world lutheran lutheran world council or lutheran world something yeah you know, i think it's lutheran world council or because the lutheran the international council lutheran council is the the lcms one that's that's the one we're a part of yeah so each of the three largest denominations in the United States at some point started reaching out to church bodies around the world and saying, hey, how can we partner together? And started to kind of create almost like mega denominations worldwide 
um, where we are in, in fellowship with these other groups, um, obviously leaving them a lot of autonomy to serve the church in their area as best they can. But like noting that we have good theology uh, together and that we want to walk together as churches and support one another. Um, so each of the, the ELCA, the LCMS, and the Wisconsin Synod have their own kind of version of this international Lutheran church body. Um, but there are some churches that kind of straddle the line across those groups. Um, and so there are conversations being had frequently between uh, the LCMS and church bodies in Asia, or the ELCA and church bodies in Africa, or the Wisconsin Synod and church bodies in South America, uh, about their differences in theology and whether they should be in fellowship in these different groups or not, um, or whether um, we should be engaging with them or not. Um, and like, this is as, as large scale as it gets. I mean, the fruit of those kinds of conversations are are things like the the Malagasy Lutheran Church, which has I think four million members. Um, this is the Lutheran Church of Madagascar, but that's not the demonym that they like to use, so makes it more confusing for those of us that don't speak French. Um, really, all, really, all it is. Um, but that church body is now the largest church body in. The, the fellowship, the international fellowship that the LCMS has. Um, and they used to be in the same fellowship as the ELCA, but just through conversations that they had with different church bodies, they realized, hey, we need to be with people that align with us more um, because like we're really firm in our theology, but we don't like the fact that um, there are other church bodies within our fellowship that can flex their financial muscle and make other churches do what they want them to do. Um, and so we're going to go somewhere where we more feel like we align with where they are headed and where they're going um, so that we don't face that pressure and we don't succumb to that. Um, and and if, I mean, if anyone was on, like that's, there are, there are definitely members of the World Lutheran Council or whatever it's called, um, which is bigger it's mm -hmm. it's the larger group who are there because they rely on financial support from it and while they might uh, they they might fall more in line with the international lutheran council the reality is the international lutheran council can't provide the same level of financial support for churches that need it so um, lutheran world federation lutheran world federation yep that's the one yep um, and that the, the big reason that they are as large as they are is one, because of the ELCA. Uh, two, it features all of the state Lutheran churches of Europe, uh, which includes Germany, uh, Sweden, Norway, Denmark. Um, maybe Iceland, too. Um, basically, anywhere with a, a state Lutheran church, those are in there. So those like those have large membership and, and financial resources. Um, it just, yeah, they, um, they have a lot of weight to throw around in that regard. So for, cause, cause I, if you're listening to this, I I'm aware, well, at least I think 
Um, most of you aren't like theolo professional theologians. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the question might be like, why does this matter? What first, well, and what discussions are being had? Like, aren't churches churches? Aren't Christians Christians? Yes, on, on, we, are, we are united under the cross of Christ. And that's how it should be. However, like there's a reality that we have differences that that really we need like we can't ignore them. We have to deal with them. Um, like to go back to the World Cup example that started all this. The reality is the way that we in America believe people should be treated, and the way that people the the leadership and and the culture in Qatar believes people should be treated is radically different, and it's a difference that is worth dealing with. In the same way, like the denominations of the world, we have differences that really need to be dealt with. And the reason that there are still denominations, the reason we have the, the World Lutheran Federation and the International Lutheran Council, and, and we have these different groups, is is so that it's kind of to provide a forum, uh, a, an arena for these conversations, for these discussions, for these arguments. Um, so like uh, a couple more purely theological ones, and these are the ones that, that will get talked about when our synodical president, Matthew Harrison, who is kind of our, our national representative to other countries, like he'll go and, and the kinds of topics that get talked about are things like um, a, a big one is communion. How do we handle communion? It's one of the most important parts of our faith and our practice. How do we deal with it? Mm -hmm. How do we faithfully deal with it? Mm -hmm. And like, uh, I'm saying part of this because I am, I'm planning to share this with some of my classmates in, in my current doctoral class. Uh, hey guys, if you end up listening to this, um, that's one of the reasons that Lutherans don't, I don't want to say don't play nice, but like are kind of cautious around other American denominations. A big part of it is communion, because our stance on communion is that the, the bread and the wine are the body and blood of Christ. And we kind of leave it there. We, we don't try to explain how it works, and, and we don't reduce it to just being symbolic, which uh, I'm speaking in generalities, which I don't like to do, but generally speaking, Catholic theology pushes pretty hard to explain it and to say that like it physically, it really changes into the body and blood or they, they do some philosophical stuff with like, I forget what it's called. I, I knew it at one point with like- What, the transubstantiation stuff? Yeah. Where the the essence the essence changes yeah the essence the and all that <laughs> so like we would say you're Lucas pushing to him. like you're you're speaking more about it than we really have any any cause to mm -hmm. um, and, and pushing the understanding in a way that makes the practice has some problems with the practice and on the other side you have a lot of like new world churches like uh the southern baptist convention and stuff like that who generally speaking treat communion as a symbol or is just like we're supposed to when we're supposed to celebrate this and kind of remember what's going on which which takes the power out of the meal right 
and and this is a core piece of the Christian faith and has been since Jesus walked the earth. We have to deal with that. We can't just say, oh, we're all the same because we're not. We, we got to get on the same page with this. So so uh, another issue is baptism, right? Where Lutherans, we, we will baptize babies. Um, if, if Especially in the case of emergency, if someone is born, and and the baby is not going to last long like we say the father or who like someone in the room baptize that baby you know minutes after it's been born if that's if that's necessary where there are some denominations that say before you before you do baptism you have to make a choice to to kind of accept the faith as your own and when we say well no because your faith isn't a choice your faith is a gift from the holy spirit so like these are the high level theological discussions that the the leadership of of these different massive church bodies are having with each other to try and come to a consensus on um what you might experience more as as someone who doesn't deal with theology at that level um like like that stuff is really important to ben and i because if for no other reason it determines who can who can preach for us and where we can preach because uh, we have what is called altar and pulpit fellowship with certain other Lutheran churches, which means I am free to welcome them into my pulpit. I am free to preach in theirs. You know, they can do the sacraments. Um, and then there are those who aren't. And like, which makes total sense. If you are, if you disagree with us, if you disagree with the Lutheran church, um, Missouri Synod on, important theological points you should not be teaching from our pulpits like that's i that seems pretty straightforward um but where you're going to see this as as a lay person as a member of a church is more in maybe practice and uh and by practice i mean how is it applied so you might notice with the communion thing lutherans we are we're we practice something called close communion, which means if you don't believe how we do, if you don't share our theological convictions, we ask that you don't commune with us because it's a sign of unity and we're not unified yet. Um, so that's, and that's kind of, that's how we handle things. Um, so you might notice that if you visit a Lutheran church, a lot of times the pastor is going to ask you what what your faith background is, um, and and we stand by that, right? Because it is a sign of unity, it is a sign of community, so we should take that seriously. Um, but I think the bigger thing that a lot of people will look at is um, how how's the how's the theology applied ethically speaking. So, uh, Ben's, Ben's returning. I don't know how much you heard of. I, none of it. I, uh, okay. sorry, I got a call from my auto shop. Oh, well, that's okay. Uh, so I was just kind of transitioning to how, how these differences are kind of these confessional disagreements are going to be felt by a regular person. And I think mm -hmm. the biggest way you're going to see it is how does it apply to ethics? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you will see in ELCA churches, 
they have no problem with homosexuality. Um, so you'll like you'll see gay pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll they'll marry gay couples, and they have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and another way way you'll see it is female ordination. You'll see female ordination in ELCA churches. Um, and we would say, like, if you track back, it comes from our theology. We take scripture very seriously. We we don't subscribe to the historical critical method, which set which essentially I mean I'm I'm oversimplifying, but essentially it says if I can come up with a historical reason to ignore part of scripture. I'm gonna. I can ignore it, and we say, no, you can't. You can't do that. Um, we got to take it seriously. So that's why we say, no, homosexual. No matter what the culture around us says, homosexuality is still wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we say based, and this is a whole. This is probably a series of podcasts, but based on where the scripture leads us, we say, you know, the spiritual leader of a congregation should be a man. And, and that's why in our church body, we do we do hold that we don't ordain women. We don't ordain women as pastors. Um, so those are the things you're going to see. And, and they come from those high-level theological disagreements. But what you're mm-hmm. going to experience is, well, our church holds by these kind of these different ethics seriously. And, and we're kind of, we're, we're unwavering on that. Um, and other church bodies aren't. Uh, so the question, going back to our original topic, is like how how closely do we, do we associate with each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just going to give you my simple thing, and then you can respond to any and everything I've said. Sure. Um, but it comes from this we are not as pastors we are not interacting as individuals i am interacting for the sake of my congregation which means just because like i i guess not to toot my own horn i have a i am a very willful person like it about any opinion i hold with any sort of seriousness it's really hard for someone to change my mind um and my faith is something that you're not going to you're just not going to do it um and and that's a blessing of the holy spirit but uh so i can walk into a lot of circumstances i can watch i can like i have no fear about engaging with any sort of media because i know that i am secure in my faith and like i'm not going to be corrupted by these things I'm engaging with, because I have I have the ability to see, to to say oh, I'm rejecting that part. I know that's bad. I know that's wrong. I'm gonna, but I'm still gonna engage. Um, but I know that not everyone that I care for in my congregation has that spiritual strength. So when we're talking about well, how closely are we gonna interact with other churches? I am aware that I have to be careful because someone of a weaker faith could see me engaging. Or see our church engaging with someone else and say, well, if we're engaging with them, that must mean that's okay. Mm -hmm. So where I draw the line is, is it going to compromise the gospel? So like if, if another, if vantage point is, is a church that's, that's down the street from where we worship 
And if they were to say, hey, we're we're putting together a food bank and we're wondering if Edgewater would like to be involved in uh, supporting that and planning that and in kind of organizing that and and providing volunteers, I would say, of course, like we'll do that in a heartbeat. We'll serve with another church with very little hesitation, because the reality is uh, theological disagreements probably aren't really going to come up if if you're passing out canned food together like and there's the differences that are going to be made apparent there are not going to compromise the gospel and even as a general rule other mainline denominations i have no fear of them compromising the gospel if we work with them as a church i mean i'm not i'm still not going to let them preach from my pulpit i'm not going to preach from theirs but if if a baptist church or a catholic church or a uh, or any of those churches comes up and says, let's serve the community together. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, where I would get more hesitant is with churches who do not take scripture seriously. So like our brothers and sisters in the ELCA church, if they were to come up to me and say, you know, we like to do devotions together or something, I, I would be, I would probably say no. I, I would be very hesitant because there are some theological differences there that I think can can cause some uncertainty when it comes to the gospel. And that's where I draw the line is, is this going to distance anyone from the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and understanding what he did for them? So those are my rants, <laughs> Ben. Yeah, I, I mean, I think even going back a little bit, you really nailed into the reason that like, the way we approach our hermeneutics, which big word, biblical interpretation. Um, big how word that, that means biblical interpretation for anyone big, who can't comprehend Ben's caveman speak. Yeah, thanks. Um, no problem. <laughs> like, it's pretty clear how that can impact the way that we operate operate as a church and the way that we approach things but then also like there are other implications outside of what happens on a sunday morning in terms of the differences or what happens on a sunday morning or what happens in our theology that form as differences between you know our churches and others um like for example, um, and it, again, if Josh's uh, doctoral classmates are in on this, uh, I apologize if I offend you on this and if I misrepresent your your understanding of the faith. But within a lot of evangelical circles, there's a lot more uh, emphasis on bringing the kingdom of God to bear in the world um, through whatever means uh, available. Um and oftentimes that takes a very political bent. Um, and we within the Lutheran church, our stance is more like, we're gonna keep an eye on the world and how it's moving. And if there are places where we can speak to it, great, but we're not gonna like worry about making the kingdom of God the most visible thing in the world. Because we think by just being the church and doing that effectively, 
like the kingdom of God will be far more apparent than it could be any other way. Um, and so like that is, that is our priority in that respect. Um, and the, there's difference in terms of how that plays out. And in a, uh, another example of the ends meeting in the middle, when it comes to a spectrum of things, like we see that in our, our, um, ELCA brothers and sisters too, that they're often very focused on the the way that the world operates and making it as close to their perception of the the kingdom of god as possible by the means available to them um but again scripturally it doesn't seem to be like that should be our focus our focus should be on uh loving the lord with all our heart soul and mind and loving loving our neighbors as ourselves um Which, that's that's what drives our we yeah, want to not to jump on, on a tangent, but if you look at Jesus's ministry, mm -hmm. he wasn't trying to change the Roman government. <laughs> he wasn't even really trying to change the larger culture of mm -hmm. the time. He, with the people in front of him, he said, be faithful. Mm -hmm. And when people come into your life that you have the opportunity to influence, influence them to also be faithful. That, that was his drive. That was always yeah. his his approach to ministry. So yeah. like, the greater love has no one than this, then uh, you should lay down your life for a friend. Uh, you are my friends. If you do my, do what I command. And what did he command them? All of those things about uh, love and service to neighbor, uh, submission and faithfulness to God, um, humility. Uh, love God, serve others. Exactly. Um, so I think like, to me, that's the importance of being careful in some of these relationships is that, um, our focus can, can very easily be turned away from where I think and where Josh thinks we're called to be, um, where within the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, we think we're called to be, and that's present in the lives of our community and the lives of our neighbors. Um, and if our, our gaze lifts too much up um, towards power or uh, political authority or uh, quote-unquote changing the world uh, on whatever scale that is, um, you can often lose sight of the, the, the need in front of you. Um, and so as we engage with the communities around us, uh, especially the church communities around us, our, our focus is like, like Josh said, we need to have the willpower to stay the course. And I would add, like, we really need to make sure that, uh, that, that willpower is focused on training our eyes to our immediate context, how we can proclaim the gospel, how we can serve our neighbor how we can love our God. Um, that sounded a lot like a takeaway. Yeah. Well, before we get, I have one more thing. Go for I it. I think I want to clarify. Go for um, it. Cause I, I don't think I expressed this well earlier. The re the, the line when I said like, I, I don't want to compromise the gospel. Mm-hmm. 
to clarify that, I, I think the question is, um, or, or the, the line is, making sure that whatever we do with other churches in conjunction with other churches doesn't signal an approval of their theology or their stance on ethics, mm -hmm. if they're different from ours. Mm -hmm. So for me as a pastor, as a leader of a congregation, um, if, if we're looking at partnership or working with another church, I think that's that's going to be the biggest question is, am I going to signal to someone that I am approving of their theology? And this is a really stupid example, but I'm going to throw it out there and hope hope it doesn't bite me in the tooth. So uh, this past Friday, Chris, my wife Chris and I, we went to a Ontario Rain game. Uh, that's the local minor league hockey team. We're season ticket holders. Uh, and it was pride night. So they gave out hats. And they get their black hats with the the they have a retro logo that's like a dragon. It's 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 actually a really cool logo. I'm a big fan of the logo, but the logo was a rainbow because it was pride night. And my as I was handed this hat, my immediate thought was, oh, flip. This is my immediate flippant thought. Oh, they're celebrating that God's not going to flood the earth again, which is not what they were celebrating. That's not what that hat communicates. Um, so, like, as I receive this hat, I'm thinking to myself, I cannot wear this hat. Because what it communicates to, even though I know I can justify it, I can say a rainbow is God's promise to, to the world. I know that what it is, it's for a lot of people, they would see me wearing it and it would be a signal of approval of homosexuality. So I can't wear it because I cannot signal that as a leader of my faith community. In the same way, when we interact with other churches, when we interact with other groups, we have to be aware, what are we signaling we approve of? And that's why Lutheran pastors, when we when we get asked to speak or to pray or whatever at like interfaith functions, a lot of times we're really careful about that. Because if I do an opening prayer and then, uh, you know, a Muslim imam comes up and gives like a sermon, I, I can't, like, I can't signal that I approve of his theology, that I agree with his theology. I can't do it. Um, so that's, that's what we have to be careful of when we're deciding how to interact is, are we, not only do we disagree with this theology or agree with this theology, are we signaling our approval of it? Um, I mean, honestly, it would just be a lot easier if everybody became Lutheran, so... Get on that, everybody, I guess. Then I don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. Make my life easier. Um, I think that, that was it. I, I'm ready for takeaways if you are. All right, cool. You want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I think my takeaway for all of you listening is, like, be aware that this is stuff that, like, is probably on your pastor's mind somewhere. Mm-hmm as far as like we're pretty consistently careful about who are we associating with who are we like because we got to be careful what we're signaling to other people 
So just be aware that like that's something we have to deal with. And if you are involved in like a charitable organization and you know that there are going to be there's going to be a lot of interfaith stuff there. Honestly, do your pastor a favor and don't ask him to do anything that could be compromising. Because he's going to feel really bad if he has to say no to you because of something like this. So just be aware this is something that your pastor has to deal with. And honestly, that you have to deal with on, on a smaller level. So just be aware of it. Think about it. Let it marinate. And I'm going to go with uh, know your confidence uh, and don't know it blindly. Um, Josh and I uh, both have a personality that gives us a little more confidence than perhaps we ought to be due. Thank you. Um, and uh, so like we especially need to be like remind need to be reminding ourselves that um, our knowledge base probably isn't quite what we think it is uh, due to our confidence in ourselves. And we need to take extra time to really assess situations and, and uh, know what we're getting into before we get into them. Um, some of you might have a really, really strong perception of yourself and a, a good understanding of where you're at um, and can pretty quickly make a decision about whether or not something is something you should engage in. Um, but you got to know yourself in order to know where you're at. Um, and if you don't know where you're at, um, get yourself involved in uh, Bible study, uh, engage with books outside of your tradition, uh, engage with websites and podcasts outside your tradition. Um, and just see how capable you are at engaging in some of those conversations. Um, and, and use your friends. Like, talk yeah. to your friends and your pastor, because they probably have a good idea of where you're at. And also, if you were to ask one of us, like, hey, I read this book from this other denomination, and I want to know what you think about these issues, we, oh, man, I would love to have that conversation. Language. That sounds like so much language. fun. Yeah. You're... Most of most pastors at heart are gigantic nerds. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, My brother will, right now is both. reading the Benedict option. And I'm like, I'm kind of excited to have this conversation with you. Anyway. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I think that's it. All right. Uh, know yourself. Check yourself before you wreck thyself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. Um. So some takeaways for everybody, uh, or some prayer requests, sorry, not takeaways. We already did takeaways, duh. Yeah. Uh, pray, pray for the Christian church all over the world to come together. Um, I can't imagine it would happen in our lifetime. I really, I, I hope it does, but I really can't imagine because uh, we're humans and we suck. Um, but pray that we come closer together, that we resolve some of these issues faithfully, um, and that and that despite the ongoing disagreements, that where we can find common ground to be united, we do. Um, so pray for that. That's I mean that's a big prayer request. But then also pray uh, for discernment for 
the different situations that life puts you in, um, that you would remain faithful through all of them. So, and as we transition into all of our shameless plugs, the, the first one I want to lead off with is if you have someone in your life who maybe is struggling with um, how divided the Christian church is or, or how tricky some of these interactions are, go ahead and send them this podcast. Maybe it'll help them. Um, or maybe it'll drive them nuts and they'll hate us, but you know, either way they listen to it and we get the statistics. So, um, and if you have a topic you want us to cover, or if you have questions or anything like that, or you want to come on as a guest, or you want us to try and get a, a specific guest on the show, um, go ahead. You can, if you know us personally, you can text one of us, call one of us, preferably text. I like texts better. Um, Same. Or you can post on or message our Facebook page, uh, which is, that's the only reason it's really there. We, we don't check it very often. We don't post very often. It's mostly just there. So if you don't know us personally, you can still reach out to us. Um, and then subscribe to our show on whatever your podcasting platform of choice is. Uh, we're on all the major ones, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I think we're even on um, like FM player or something weird like that. Uh, but that, that subscription lets you know when we release new episodes, which is typically every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific time. Um, and it also validates what we're doing a little bit because like if, if we're just doing this to talk to each other, we don't need to keep recording it. And <laughs> our conversations can get a little more unfiltered. So. Uh, yeah, I think that's all the shameless plugs I have. Did I miss any? No, I don't think oh, so. I think we're good. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Man Buns and Jesus, especially if you're a first-time listener. You get a, an imaginary gold star for being a first-time listener. And we invite you to go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. <laughs>